there's only really one idea we need to communicate, which is that Roosevelt was a fucking G. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah, that's th- this book was based. That was basically the point of the of the book. That's basically, yeah. I mean, <laughs> well, th- that's why these books are great because they uh, they make you realize just how soft all of our lives are now, or how yeah. soft we are, at least. <laughs> I was talking to Suman about this. I, I bought him a copy of the book. I was like, "This is like good inspiration. You should you should check it out." He got like a hundred pages <laughs> in. Nice way to tell someone they're a little bitch. <laughs> <laughs> not not what I had in mind. Not what I had in mind. But he gets like a hundred pages in. He's like, "Imagine being such a G that a biography about you begins after the end of your presidency." Wow. <laughs> that's a good true yeah. actually yeah, yeah. It's so like, oh yeah by the way this guy was president anyway <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> so yeah today's book is the river of doubt by candace millard millard about roosevelt's expedition of the river of doubt in the amazon in was it 1914 did did you guys even know that this happened i had no idea about this part of his life no at all i knew they were all i no, knew he'd like either. gone to africa i knew he'd done like big game hunting don't know much about that but like i just know that like generally from his i guess like high level bio and that he was an outdoorsman i didn't know he like helped discover this whole river in the amazon and went on this like yeah. ridiculous journey well, I guess he didn't he didn't discover the river. They knew that something was there. Yeah, and yeah. And they helped, he helped map it. Uh, I guess. Map the yes. river. Yeah. yeah. Uh, survey it or whatever. But yeah, yeah, that like what a what an amazing person. Like I actually don't I don't I actually don't know much about his politics. I don't know much about his life except what we learned from this book. But I'm kind of curious yeah. to know more now. Like just yeah. yeah. The thing that surprised me, I knew a little bit about him, but again, like you very not much. The thing that surprised me was that he would do these things when he was like hurting. So something bad would happen yeah, in his life yeah. and then he would need a crazy physical challenge in order to overcome whatever emotional hurdle. So in this case, it was uh, his loss of the 1912 election. Yeah. I don't know if you guys have seen this. I, it was it was like making the rounds on this was like a viral Twitter or Instagram or something. It was basically making the argument that like particularly for men when something really terrible happens, like talk therapy is the wrong solution. Like they need to go do something extremely challenging and taxing and trying because that's like part of how men deal with extreme emotional strife and loss. Like they need to throw themselves into something. So it was interesting to see that idea in this book. I mean, obviously when that was like going viral, it was super contentious, but I find it a little compelling. Right? I, I think it makes like, sense. I, I feel like there's something the there. Options. It should be one, one of the options. options. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or one of the recommendations. Yeah. 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 I think, it, I mean, that does make sense. And it also would make sense that people process things differently. So like this could work for, totally. this could definitely work for someone and is hundred percent worth trying. I mean, you see, you see people do this with like, they'll go through a breakup, then get really into like working out or something. And it's probably, yeah. they're probably getting really into it. Not for, I mean, maybe part of it is like just trying to get in better shape. But then the other part of it is it probably feels really like like a relieving or like cathartic thing to work that physically hard yeah it's a win when you've had a loss right like imagine if imagine if the world was so uncharted that whenever you had an l you could just go and like map part of the (laughs) okay there's the win you can go to the ocean (laughs) 
or too soon. Too soon. To say, I'm just <laughs> too, soon. too soon. Too soon. For that. <laughs> no, actually, I did want to. Uh, maybe we should talk about that later in the episode. But I do, I do like appreciate. Not that I've ever done anything like this, but I do appreciate like the explorer spirit that the people yeah. in the submarine were doing. I mean, there were things which I'd be like, ah, I probably wouldn't do that or get into that. But I like the idea behind wanting to go explore something that's hard to, you know, or most people haven't seen or, or you know, do something that's just on the edge of like really beyond what, what would be comfortable. You're not, not taking a cruise, you know, like you're doing something truly yeah. uh, exploratory. Yeah. It's, I don't know. It's like a really cool mentality. And I don't think enough of us have done that. There's also not much left. Yeah. Right. It's like, well, yeah, you're either going really deep or you're going really far, like Mars far. And yeah, yeah I'm sure you guys have seen the, that like meme of running joke, right? Like bo- born too late to explore the earth, born too early to explore the stars, mm. born just in time to explore the thousandth page of Pornhub or something <laughs> <laughs> like it's it's always something like very sad like there's like nothing for our generation to like explore <laughs> we're stuck in this in-between phase <laughs> yeah I guess explore I, in terms of like being the first to do something but yeah there is plenty to explore in terms of like you've never done any of the you know certain things true, like Adil, true, you yeah, probably felt like you were on the edge during your your trip like you probably felt like yeah I mean, it was it was new for me. That's what I mean. Uh, yeah. For, <laughs> for context, the trip reference here was I went on a canoe camping trip at, right after reading this book, actually, which we had some minor setbacks during the trip. This book helped put all such setbacks in perspective. So we had some rain. We got like washed out and I got sick and we had some injuries. But the whole time I was like, well, I didn't have to like get surgery on the side of the Amazon and remove part of my leg while I had malaria, which happened to Teddy Roosevelt. Puts everything in perspective. I think if I hadn't read the book, though, I would have made a much bigger deal about what I went through <laughs> on this canoe trip. <laughs> I do think there's something to that about reading these kinds of books where it does make you appreciate just like how small many of your struggles and inconveniences are. Yeah. Right. Like and when we did the comfort crisis. In. Yes. Yeah. And they're all opt in. Yeah, like I actually still think about the comfort crisis a lot because Mm -hmm. there are so many things where you're basically choosing to be annoyed about something that isn't actually that annoying if you look at it a little longer. Right. I feel like that's so many of the those minor discomforts in in day and in life. Yeah, that's so true. I mean, yeah, it's also yeah, I was thinking about comfort crisis when reading this book as well. Actually, one of my friends who uh, she's coming to the wedding and she did not read Comfort Crisis yet, but she's been like wanting to. She went to uh, she climbed Kilimanjaro this past week as part of just like she's made like an Africa trip out of uh, out of coming to to Kenya. And she like after the, the climb, like she sent a picture of like getting to the summit. And then I was like, how was it? And she was like, honestly, I thought it was 50 50 if I would even make it up there and i was like wow that's literally the idea in comfort crisis that's perfect <laughs> yeah I was like, you nailed it that's like exactly what you want um, and then she was like on the last day i felt like it was a 20 percent chance i would make it to the top but um <laughs> wow. good for her yeah i mean but no but to the point of like that's where i was kind of going with like we yeah okay she's obviously not the first person to climb kilimanjaro but it probably still gives a bit of that feeling like it's probably a next level feeling if you're the first person to do something right but even the people yeah. who discover these things, like 
I don't know. There's 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 been a lot of humans even before Teddy Roosevelt and before you know any of the explorers that we know of who probably did also find something before the people we think like discovered something. Like we probably have a yeah. first person who climbed Everest, right? Like in recorded history, but yeah. there probably was somebody else before that. But it kind of doesn't. It shouldn't diminish the accomplishment. I guess is what I'm saying. Like we could still recreate, a, you know, that exploring feeling for ourselves. Well, yeah, because there there are all of these tribes people who live on the river. That's what I'm. Yeah. Yep. Right. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so like they're they're not really suffering. They're well. They're just living their life. Right. Like this was the first time that a someone writing history discovered the river. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. That's exactly right. Yeah. The the other thing in this that was interesting, which doesn't get its fair due, that I was thinking about was all the like little porters and people helping them. Like I was like, mm-hmm. they did, they also did a lot, and you know, arguably more than a lot of the. Uh, they did more yeah. of the work. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like what like, kind of shape were they in? I mean, they must have been. <laughs> oh, they must have been so yeah. strong to do that. Yeah, they're they were portaging everything. They were eating worse right? food, like. Eating worse food and less food. They were doing most of the paddling, right? Like, and then, you know, Roosevelt gets the river named after him. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) It it is kind of funny, though. I mean, going back to the, like, submarine reference, the comparison is actually not that far (laughs) off. I mean, the the level of preparation for this expedition was, like, maybe worse than the level of preparation for the submarine expedition. I just like, yeah. I, I couldn't believe how completely unprepared they were to go explore this river. And like, I mean, it, it, it really is one of those things where like the, the story heavily depends on whether it succeeds or not. That's so true. Right. I mean, if, if Roosevelt had died down there, like he would probably just get made fun of forever because of it. It's like, oh, you went to explore a river with no canoes because you were sad about losing an election with no animals. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. With like, I mean, mean, and basically like the person who planned like two things went wrong. One, they were originally going to do a much easier expedition and Roosevelt pivoted at the last minute. And two, the guy who planned the expedition would just like did a terrible job. And so. I love that image where they like they start breaking open their food crates and they discover that they have like olive oil <laughs> and like tea crackers like they're trying to do like the guy was planting high tea or something yeah. in the middle of the Amazon. Yeah. Right. It's it's like not efficient rations at all. <laughs> and it took them, what, two months to get to the start of the river. Yeah. And then along the way, like most of I think all of their animals died. Right. By the time they're in the canoes on the river, I think all of their animals are gone. And I don't remember if they died or if they were killed or if released, but they didn't yeah, join the river. Yeah, they didn't. They didn't make it, uh, and they lost all of their canoes. So they had to like buy these terrible dugout canoes from like local tribes people instead of yeah. there. And the that stat was crazy. I mean, the the canoes that they brought were like what two hundred pound like fiberglass or something like they were really really nice high-tech canoes and the ones they had to buy were did they say 1200 pounds yeah they were huge yeah they were massive just hollowed out tree trunks and they kept losing them yeah 160 pound canvas canoes yeah and they kept losing and having to remake them on the trip (laughs) yeah jeez yeah the planning was not not good it also seemed like it was underestimating what they were actually getting into 
like they didn't really understand totally i think the nature of the expedition well the original plan was to basically do like like a lazy river kind of a thing and then yeah. only when they arrived and they heard from roosevelt that he wanted a challenge they were like why don't you do the river of doubt so the brazilians at least my understanding from the book was the brazilians were like this is hard you might die and Roosevelt was like, don't worry, we're prepared. I haven't looked inside any of the boxes, but I believe we have the things we need. And then they opened up the boxes two months into the journey. I found the, I found the thing about what was in the food boxes. We discovered whole cases of olive oil, mustard, malted milk, stuffed olives, prunes, applesauce, etc. Even Rhine wine. <laughs> oh my God. It's just <laughs> not what you needed. <laughs> yeah. The dugouts were 2,500 pounds apiece. Wow. <laughs> and the, yeah, and then That's they had wild. the overland parts of this trip as well. Yeah, you had to portage yeah. them. You had to take them out of the yep. water and carry them. Yep. Yeah. Like, and it, and from the pictures, it looks like the way they were doing that. I mean, those 160 pound canvas canoes, like one of these guys probably just toss it on their shoulders and walk with it. Right. But with these, it looks like they were laying down logs and rolling them <laughs> yep. along Hard the trail. Yeah, yeah, and also yeah. the interplay between so the variables of like things taking longer because of the the canoes, right, being so large. Yeah. Combined yeah. with the food situation, like those two variables play into each other a lot because then you run you're more likely well, also, to run out of food. Yeah. I the fact that they were trying to survey the river as they went. So they were stopping every time there was like a turn and like marking down coordinates and all of that. That that part I thought was especially wild yeah. right it's like you guys should just be tr- trying to live yeah. <laughs> how are you yeah, still that, the brazilian the general uh rendon right that was his name or yeah rendon, rendon like rendon. yeah he was he didn't seem scared at all of like no he was dying chilling. or running out of food <laughs> like he was just he was like we got to survey the river i actually that's a good point neil it's like walking away from the book like roosevelt is a g but Rondon was like a total, <laughs> yeah. total badass. Oh, like, yeah. By far the biggest badass on the trip. I mean, uh, one of the states in Brazil is named after him. Oh, really? Wow. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah also his backstory was kind of crazy, he, too. He had the best epilogue. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah I mean, this is highlights of that? Yeah, th- this isn't really a spoiler, but, I mean, Roosevelt survives this trip barely, uh, and then he ends up dying a few years later and basically says that he never fully recovered from the trip. So it's like the trip did kind of get Roosevelt in the end. Cause he died at 60 or so. Yeah. But uh, of everybody who went on the expedition, the person who lived the longest after it was Rondon. Wow. Oh yeah. Uh, he lived so in 92. <laughs> yeah. Despite the near constant hardship and danger of his chosen career, Candido Rondon lived to be 92 years old, 32 years longer than Roosevelt. Wow. His yeah. telegraph line was finally inaugurated on January 1st, 1915, less than a year after he and Roosevelt completed the journey. This part's so fucking brutal, though. The same year the line opened, radio telegraphy found its way to Brazil, rendering unnecessary Oof. the copper telegraph wires that Rondon and his men had strung across 800 miles of the country's uncharted territory. He returned home a hero and remained one for the rest of his life. He was invited to meet the president of Brazil, asked to run for political office, which he always denied. 
promoted to first brigadier general and then to marshal at the end of his life. In the 1920s, Einstein nominated him for the Nobel Peace Prize. And in 1956, the Brazilian government renamed a territory of 94,000 square miles, twice the size of England, Rondonia, in his honor. Good for him. Yeah. That's amazing. And then, oh, and he lived to see that. He died two years later in his own bed in his home in Rio. Wow. This is a guy who like, spent his whole life running around uncharted territory of the Amazon, making friends with native tribes who had never been contacted before. Yeah. <laughs> he lists 92 and dies in his home. It's so wild. Yeah. That is actually worth talking about, too, for a second. The fact that there were all these tribes that were uncontacted. Like, yeah, I can't even imagine. Like, that is the equivalent of on either side. Like, if you were the Indian tribe, the native tribe getting in contact, like being contacted, I guess, by these like explorers with their technology, you would think they're aliens. Like, you, th- that's the only analogy oh, like- I can think of. And yeah, it like that. How crazy would that be? <laughs> like, well, his his strategy and his attitude, I thought, was just was so impressive where every time they found any trace of uh, the native people, he would like go out of his way to leave them gifts. He would give them like arrowheads and food and all this stuff, like technology that they might not have, which was extra interesting. And uh, Millard pointed this out in the book because it was kind of a gamble in the sense that it was being nice, right? Maybe we can be friends or you at least won't kill us, but also you're showing them, the kind of tech that you have in your possession. Yeah. So you might make yourself more attractive to be killed. But I guess he had been doing this for like 10 or 20 years already before yeah. Roosevelt showed up and he had already been able to make friends with like a number of the tribes in the area. But then as soon as they get on the river, they realize this is a tribe that he hasn't had any contact with. So there's no established truce, which have to imagine it's kind of stressful <laughs> yeah reciprocity is sufficiently a universal quality that like it worked even though to each group the other were basically aliens though i do think that if i recall correctly the tribe at the beginning of the river was the tribe that had contact with him yeah before. yeah those yeah. are the ones who bring them the canoes yeah, yeah. the first one. Oh, so there wasn't this okay the second set yeah, yeah. Wow. The the one set drops off the canoes at the mouth of the river because like he knows them, but it yeah. the the vibe that I got was almost that like that river was the edge of their territory. Because but, as soon as they find that first village, Rondon yeah. says, "We I don't know who these mm. this group is. It's distinctly different." Dude, that makes the ending even more cuz I remember in the end they comment that like the whole expedition would have gone sideways had the tribe just been like, "Yeah, we're going to kill these guys" instead of letting them yeah. pass. They were following uh, them the yeah. whole time. Yeah. And didn't yeah. they describe something around like a consensus structure and like the tribe couldn't agree what to do? Yeah, so? yeah, the Yeah. It which I thought was interesting because it the way Millard wrote about it, it seems like there has been more contact established with this tribe after. Yeah. And the tribe must have told stories about this Mm. happening or something because she knew way too much about what the tribe was thinking for. Like, I I don't think she was making it up. That information had to have come from somewhere. So somebody must have established deeper contact with them later and asked about this story because, yeah, she says that it was run as a democracy where all of the tribe leaders had to agree before some new course of action was taken and they were split on whether to 
attack Roosevelt's crew or not. And so it never happened. And apparently the reason they were split was that they kept giving them gifts and weren't trying to come into their territory. And so it seemed like those two things are what saved Mm. them. But it was interesting that she made that strong of an assessment of what they were doing. There must have been some communication later. But then there was also something towards the end where she says like, almost like she alluded that there hadn't been any contact because like one person who got lost on an expedition, but then like, they wouldn't know that unless some contact had been formed later. She, She tells that story about somebody else who got lost and wandered into their tribe and hmm. they like gave him food like he, he gave them like a knife as a gift or something and then they fed him and helped him get better and then they killed him and ate him uh, oh yeah, yeah that was yeah, the other I thing remember right? that story. is that they're cannibals yep. <laughs> yeah. Ooh, yeah yeah so that the, this is such a great line the most striking fact about the cinta larga and one that would have alarmed the men of the expedition had they known it was that these indians were cannibals their consumption of human flesh was not out of necessity, but out of vengeance and an adherence to tribal traditions and ceremony. They could eat another man only in celebration of a war victory, and that celebration had to take place in the early evening. The man who had done the killing could not grill the meat or distribute it, and children and adults with small children would not eat it. Uh, so it was like the warriors would eat the leader or leaders of whichever group they killed. <laughs> and so... There's this great line at the end of the section. Although Roosevelt had already begun to lose much of his 220 pounds due to illness and the intense physical work and meager diet of the past few months, he was still by far the heaviest man in the expedition. If the men were massacred, the former president would make the best ceremonial meal. (laughs) (laughs) So there must have been some contact established later for for her to know all of this. It was really like... The River of Doubt is a great name for the river, yeah. but for these guys, it was basically the River of Good Fortune because yeah. you know, <laughs> things went wrong, but really they pulled off a miracle by surviving. And, they really did. Um, uh, speaking of these tribes, have you guys ever heard of the theory about the Amazon being man-made or like man-influenced? It's like a legit theory. Like it's in the go on. There's a Smithsonian article about it. It's in Science. Yeah, it's you like which, you watching Graham Hancock videos. Oh, no, no, I'll put, in this, I'll put it in the. I'll put it in the. chat. <laughs> appeals to authority to kick us off. No, no, I uh, put it in the chat. Going. Basically, they did. So this is from Smith, literally Smithsonian Magazine. So there are sixteen thousand. It says they've identified sixteen thousand different species on scattered plots of, of vegetation of trees, actually, um, among three hundred ninety billion individual plants. But the thing that's odd is wow. they, despite that broad diversity, over half of the total trees were made up of just over 1% of the species. About 20 of these hyperdominant plants were domesticated species, such as the Brazil nut, Amazon tree grape, and the ice cream bean tree. That hmm. was five times the amount re- researchers expected if chance was the only factor. Hmm. And they say there's evidence, yeah. even in this article, they say there's evidence of humans in the Amazon from at least 13,000 years ago. Which is a long time. That's pretty cool. Well, yeah, that that's the that's the other interesting 
question that I feel like we're still exploring, right? Is how long have humans actually been in the Americas? Yeah. And where I was going with that is like these, for a while where, where I was going with that was like these tribes that they were coming in contact with. They seem to understand the rainforest like, you know, I mean, Roosevelt yeah. and his crew were good, you know, hard, like they were hard people who yeah, I, nobody would call them soft in any way, shape or form, but they were definitely like out of their element. Yeah on that river and those natives were like i mean they were as comfortable as like a jaguar would be <laughs> in the in the rainforest mm-hmm. yeah yeah Th- there was one interesting tidbit on that about being comfortable about how the cinta larga got around that they would i guess they would move in mostly straight lines and go over things instead of around them mm. and so i guess they were just these like incredible climbers and it was part of why it made it seem like there were no human trails through the forest because the way they marked their trails and the way they were worn down were more straightforward, but like up and over trees and through vines and things like that, instead of the way we would probably do it coming from modernity where we're trying to like stay level and go around things. So there's like all of these adaptations to living in that environment. Uh, yeah. What were you saying before that about the humans? Like we're still trying to figure out. Oh, Oh, well, yeah, I mean, for a long time, I mean, for uh, wasn't it for a while we thought humans were only in the Americas from like six or seven thousand years ago. Yeah, it was like the and whenever then, the land bridge, the yeah. yeah, and then we started finding these like thirteen thousand plus year old remains, and so it's kind of like opening more of these doors of like, okay, well, what if it was actually even earlier than that? Right. Because yeah, if they were if they were living in the Amazon or something, I mean, we wouldn't probably find any remains of anything. Right. Yeah. It, and it's kind of that like I mean I made the Graham Hancock joke earlier, but that's sort of his thing, right? It's like we we might have actually been able to make decent semi seafaring canoes way earlier than we think. Yeah, I was also right? gonna say so it doesn't it necessarily be, mean because people always think like, oh, if it's thirteen thousand years ago that they were in the Amazon, they must have like come over from Asia through Alaska, like way longer ago to get all the way down there but it could be possible they there was to your point about seafaring canoes they got to south america first yeah like from like i mean if if you landed in alaska right i don't think you'd be like yeah let's stay here right exactly (laughs) well no i just mean even like it could even be like pacific islanders came you know i mean think i mean all those islands have been inhabited i forget how long australia has been inhabited for but like that's way out there. Now, so, would you have stayed in Australia if you landed there? <laughs> I've actually never oh, been no. to Australia, but looks cool. The place is a jail for a reason. <laughs> <laughs> Everything could kill you there. <laughs> yeah, you're like, we got to get out of here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Going back to Alaska. <laughs> wow, the earliest estimate, somebody- the er- earliest evidence of humans in Australia has been variously estimated with most agreement as of 2018 that it dates from 50,000 to 65,000 BC. Wow. 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 <laughs> That's a long time. And that would probably, I mean, that that would have to be some sort of boat to get there, right? Would there be any way to get there without? Yeah, I would think it'd have to be a boat. I have no idea. Because I can't imagine there be, maybe there would be a land bridge down there at some point. I don't know. I don't think so. We're, we're getting way out of our depth here. Yeah. I know somebody, this might've been another Smithsonian project. I like, it's cool when Smithsonian does these things. They did it for Shackleton's voyage too. 
where they like tried to recreate that sail from the tip of Antarctica to what is it? Prince Edward Island. Uh, no, it's not Prince Edward Island. That's in um, Canada. It was uh, whatever the island is where he like sailed across Drake's passage in the little uh, rescue boat. They, they redid that to try to get a sense of how he could have done it. I think they did that with ancient canoes too. Like they tried to rebuild what a ancient seafaring canoe could have looked like. Wasn't um, there a guy who tried to do the journey? Like it was, there, I have to find this. There was like a guy who was trying to journey, huh? Or Shackleton's journey. No, no. Or, who was trying to do like a journey across the Pacific in a canoe, like in an ancient. A few people have done it in canoe. kayaks. Yeah. Oh, an ancient one. Yeah. I think I don't there know was, about that. yeah, it was like, I, I'm sure somebody's tried or will try. Yeah. It's Ocean Gate's next expedition. <laughs> the internet says, internet okay, says uh, for Journey to Australia uh, during the last Ice Age, there still would have been a lot of water, but it would have been significantly less and could be as little mm. as like 50 miles uh, from the nearest okay. major landmass. So. Okay, you're right, Ned. It was a kayak. There's a guy who did it in a kayak. Yeah. It was a kayak, okay. Yeah. Yeah. It's a men's journal article about how this guy is just a regular guy. <laughs> but speaking to like how the story ends this guy doing the uh ancient canoe across the pacific you don't know what the base rate is for completing that trip like it could yes. be like clearly some people did it but were there yeah. one in ten thousand that set off like yeah like it's a good point not not something you, i would want to try i also out. wonder you only need how, a few boats to make it <laughs> i also wonder like how a lot yeah. of these pacific islands were colonized so long ago it's like did they just sort of start canoeing out and we're like well hopefully i find some land and like <laughs> i think you could imagine a mythology being created around like sailing to paradise or something right like the edge of the world idea and so mm-hmm. you have people who just you know, take off. And then, you know, it's kind of one of those like self-confirming prophecies where when people don't come back, it's like, oh, well, they made it. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's not that they drowned. They they found it, right? And now we're going to go searching for them too, to your point of deal, right? Like yeah. you don't need every boat to make it, but a few people get really lucky with super calm waters and end up making it way further than anyone else. Yep. And, and finding I mean, like you don't know what shape they're making it in, right? Like maybe they're crawling out of the boat on the other side. The point is yeah. that like when they're getting out on the other side, they've got a pulse and they've got like at least a couple other people. Uh, uh, we pretty much know that the Vikings made it to America now, right? So they were coming over in. Eh, no, they had sails, hmm. but I guess you could have had sails ten thousand years ago, right? Like I guess there's no explicit reason you couldn't, right? That that would be one of those interesting cloth, questions. I guess right? I guess they like cloth. Animal cloth. I mean, animal skins. You could probably make like, yeah, yeah. You could. I. I it, it seems like it could be theoretically done somehow. And the challenge must be something else. Like, there's parts of the Pacific that are essentially a desert, so it's like you need food on board because you can't fish. Like, there's right, going to be right. water. Going to be that kind of a challenge. Yeah. Yeah. Clean water. Yeah, clean water would be an interesting challenge too. There was a Rogan episode I listened to a while back. Dan Flores, it was the guy who's on, he wrote a book called Coyote America, but I think he also wrote a book, some other book recently about hunting in North America and with the like Native American hunting. And one thing he met brought up in the episode that I think is so tied to this is like the, um, the drive to explore being in our DNA because his, his, his theory with that, right. Is like, like why we 
feel that need or that urge. And it was like one of the reasons could be that anywhere like a human went that no human had ever gone before, the animals were naive. So hunting would be like super easy compared to yeah. like they wouldn't be scared of humans yet. Like they wouldn't know what a human yeah, is. Yeah, yeah. So you could like, because he was talking about like the ancient hunting techniques and like how a lot of times like humans are not, you know, we're not lions, we're not tigers, but we kind of hunt with our brains and do things like he was talking about like the, the running like herds of uh, buffalo or bison off the like off the cliffs so that you just have them like fall to their death, like hundreds of bison. Yeah. And it's like, yeah, that's not something like a lion can ever figure out how to do. And but that's like humans, you know, how we do it. And if you know, those animals are naive, it probably is a lot easier to to kind of trick them into doing something like that. Totally. So like there might be like a evolutionary advantage that like why we're sort of all descended from people who were had that exploring urge because they were mm-hmm. more likely to survive. That that's like a you know, obviously speculation, but it's an interesting idea. Well it's there there's something with that too around like oh, we talked about this with uh, what your food ate, right? Soil health. Right. If you stay in one place too long, you slowly degrade mm-hmm. the health of the environment that you're in, especially with, you know, farming and things. And so going to new locations to farm them too ended up being very advantageous, right? Because you'd often like find healthier soil and whatnot. So you, you've kind of got like a, a double benefit there. And I suspect there's some element of the not, not only that the people who went to new places were more likely to, well, no, because a lot of them probably died too, but the ones who made it <laughs> reproduced, right? So, like, it, it lived on anyway. I don't know. I guess it's that, that that's sort of like the, the theory about why Americans are crazy. Right? Yeah, it's the same idea. It's like everybody who lives here is descended from a crazy person. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I kind of buy that in a way. I totally yeah. buy that. I think that makes so much sense. All right. Like you, you would have had to be insane to like, just it, you've got to have so much respect for whichever one of your ancestors came to the U S like, it doesn't matter if it was 30 years ago or 300 years ago. Right. Like yeah. they left a like safe, safe urban, um, not necessarily now, like a lot of them are pretty unsafe environments, but uh, they, they left a home or they, they left an environment they knew right. at least and went somewhere where they didn't know anyone. And like, had probably almost no plan and almost no resources and then like figured it right. out. Right. You had to be a little, yeah. you had to be a little crazy to do. Yeah. That. Yeah. It actually puts like entrepreneurship in perspective. Cause it's like, all you're doing is creating a company and like, if it fails, you can go get a job and you'll be fine. Yeah. Whereas like, yeah, you're totally right. Like if you leave the country and life that you're familiar with, whether it was good or bad, but it's familiar and you move to a place where you have no idea what's going on. You might not even know the language very well or at all yeah and it's just like all right good luck hopefully you survive i I do feel like there's a reason that there's such a strong like immigrant entrepreneurship culture in the u.s right like i do think those things kind of go hand in hand some of it's by necessity too it's like if you can't get a white collar traditional type of job because you don't speak the language or you don't understand the culture like you know what like what other things are available to you yeah the the rich white kids get to go into fake jobs like <laughs> consulting and the- <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Yeah, actually, I was talking to my brother about this last night that like, if you think about it, Americans, like people born in America, not Americans, like that's what I mean by Americans, just like people who are born into the citizenship kind of have like our own version of affirmative action, if you think about it. Because if you think about all the people who like go to school here or are capable of taking that, to your point, the fake jobs, because they're like intelligent enough and well-spoken enough. If you're not born in the U.S., you need an H-1B visa. And those are very Mm. limited and not that easy to get. So it's more expensive to employ you if you need an H-1B visa. Mm. That's sort of part of why those are limited, right? Yeah. 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 It takes jobs away from people who are American. It takes jobs away from. Yeah. But I guess like where where I was going with it is like, it's definitely not pure like meritocracy the way folks might want to uh, pretend. I mean, that. do we know when that Supreme Court decision is coming out on affirmative action? I mean, I, I feel like that is that like it's a legitimately interesting question, yeah. right? Like it's it's tough to throw oh, that totally. needle. I think it's got to be soon, isn't it? This summer? Let's see. I'm googling it. Okay, this is from one day ago. It says while we wait for the Supreme Court to make up its mind. Okay, this article is dumb. It's not giving me what I need. Oh, sometime in the next 10 days. Wow. The oh, next wow. scheduled sure. day for the Supreme Court to issue rulings is Tuesday with more rulings expected later in the week. Okay. There's two cases regarding affirmative action in college admissions. Yeah, it's like Harvard and North UNC. Carolina or something. Yeah. yeah. What else on the book? I, I love I love the description of the surgery on Roosevelt's leg. Oh, yeah. <laughs> what about it? Well, okay. So the backstory is that Roosevelt had an existing leg injury from a carriage accident earlier in his life. And so for the whole trip, he had to be careful about his leg. And then a canoe gets stuck in the rapids and it traps one of the people on the expedition. And then he jumps into the rapids to help lift the canoe off of this guy with you know help from the rest of the team. And in the process, he falls or something hits his leg and splits it open. Right? Am I remembering this correctly? Yeah, I wonder what he had though, because it wasn't that super clear, like what what yeah. his actual issue was. But that seems like a very strange situation. I mean, maybe it's not that strange, but it. I don't know. It seemed like it's amazing that he was. Still yeah, it's doing like it never set properly. Or, yeah, yeah. But it would like get infected. There are some of these weird thing. Yeah, but it. So it's his leg split open, and then it got infected, and. Then he's like getting this terrible fever. And at one point he says, you guys just leave me here. I'm just going to die. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, because he had this big, uh, this like very strong belief of he didn't want to put his own safety ahead of the, the whole expedition. Like that was a big part of his ethos. So, yeah, because yeah, they were basically yeah. out of food at that right. point. And so he was like, you guys just go because if you carry me, then everyone will die, basically. Yeah. But then his his son and Rondon are like, no, we're not leaving you. And so they decide to do surgery on the uh, infected part of his leg. In the rainforest. <laughs> so here's the description. Like, yeah. yeah. And this didn't happen in the same day. It's like they did the surgery like what, a month later? Yeah, a while later. He yeah. put up with it for a long time. The operating room floor was nothing more than the muddy soil of the riverbank. Using only the simplest of surgical tools and no anesthetic, Kahazera, I think, 
That's how you pronounce it. Sliced deep into Roosevelt's leg, releasing a mottled mixture of blood and foul-smelling pus that had collected in the abscess. As the doctor worked to insert a drainage tube, swatting away the legions of piums and morachudo flies that had been attracted to the stench, Roosevelt did not cry out in pain or utter a word of complaint. Father's courage was an inspiration never to be forgotten by any of us, Kermit would later write. That's wild. Guys, just like cutting out part of your leg. I'm not just <laughs> out, just like hearing. I know. Second You're time. quietly <laughs> sitting there watching, watching him do it. Oh, man. Also, the bugs. Like that's another thing to talk about. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That sounds the bugs stuff. Adil, how are the bugs where you went? Not that Maine is, you know, pr- <laughs> the river of doubt. <laughs> I mean, but I'm sure I, I've heard it's not Maine, great. Amazon. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> The story gets significantly less impressive once you say it's in Maine. I don't know what. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I love that Nothing. my uh, my like lazy river canoe trip has become the closest yeah. thing we can index on for a deal. Tell us about your drive to Whole Foods. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, that was the worst part. They didn't have any Whole Foods. <laughs> you have oh, to go God. to a regular grocery store. Oh no! You have to go to a Safeway. <laughs> um. I mean, the flies are pretty bad. I'm not going to talk much about it after that preamble. <laughs> <laughs> there was one thing, uh, definitely not making any comparisons to the River of Doubt, but on its own, I never really dealt with black flies before, and you don't mm. feel them bite. You just notice mm. later you're bleeding, and oh, that was weird. really unusual. You just have like pretty, I guess when they bite you, they put some like anticoagulant or something like at the tip or however they do it. So you just notice it because you have like a little drop of blood in a bunch of places. Hmm. Uh, and you're like, oh, I must have been bit there. Um, but Yeah, because like horse no, flies, you feel pretty sharply like when you get bit by a horse fly. Yeah, horse flies are painful. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. The, the thing that I thought was interesting was it seems like everybody just has malaria all the time. Yeah. Yeah. I Maybe this is just like a, a, a modern thing, but I, I guess I have this idea in my head of malaria like oh you're you're like fucked up you can't do anything like you might die it's awful which it it seems like it is pretty bad and a lot of people do die from malaria but they talk about it almost casually yeah like Kermit had malaria at the whole trip like constantly yeah he had it for the entire trip and it just you know got better and worse like Roosevelt got it it seems like most of the guys had it yep like it just kind of seems as if it's a normal thing almost like getting a bad cold but is it possible malaria has gotten like more severe over the like does it like it maybe it has evolved well i mean honestly it could be something like the flu right i think it's like, like that a lot of people I'm die seeing. from the flu yeah. too but it doesn't necessarily mean that if you get the flu you'll die also treatment seems like it's not completely terrible treatment seems like it's not 100 percent accessible because in many of the countries that have high rates of malaria it looks like they don't have just great distribution of malaria medication. It's interesting. So it looks like the uh, 245 million cases of malaria in 2021, 619,000 dead, which is a huge oh. number. It's, it's a huge uh, but, number, but that ratio but is lower than I expected. Ratio is lower, yep. It's less and than 1%. global mortality rate has declined by 90% over the last 100 years. Wow. So, wow. Uh, yeah, it was more dangerous when the events of the book were taking place 
But even even if it was nine times deadlier, it would still only be like a four or five percent mortality rate, which is yeah, still I mean that's bad, very high, right? Actually. That's that's yeah. very yeah. <laughs> yeah. But it's like for some reason in my head, I had this idea that like back then, if you got it, you would yeah. die, right? Yep, right. Yeah, and it seemed like um, almost all these guys had malaria, or like Kerm- Kermit definitely had. Yeah, Kermit seemed to have it constantly. Oh yeah, we should talk yeah. about Kermit too. The, but yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, Ro- the the fact that Roosevelt brought his son on this expedition is wild. Yeah. Well, he was what twenty four, twenty five. Yeah, yeah. He he was yeah. old, older, and he'd been living in Brazil, right. working on kind of similar projects. It, I mean, not quite like this, but he was he understood wilderness stuff, and he went on trips with his dad, and he'd gone on hunting trips in Africa and stuff, but just. Uh, that added an interesting dynamic <laughs> that Kermit was along for the ride. His life story was really sad because he later yeah. went and fought in, I think it was World War One, and then was stationed in Alaska for a while. And then he killed himself in the 40s, right? Something like yeah, that. Yeah. Yeah. I think he was an alcoholic too. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Which yeah. was interesting because Roosevelt like hints at being concerned about that in his diaries on this trip. Mm. Right. Yeah. Like he oh, talks yeah. about. Yep. Because Roosevelt's brother was also an alcoholic and died of alcoholism. And he keeps talking about how Kermit reminds him of his brother and how it's like scary to him and whatnot. And then like they ended yeah. up having, he obviously had that same. He actually fate. had a pretty similar life really sad. to the brother. Yeah. A little different, but like it ended kind of the same yeah, way. There were some echoes of the, like his relationship with his wife also looked somewhat similar, like with the very public affairs, yep. I think. Yeah. It is interesting when that happens, like in a family, right? It, it makes you wonder. A lot of our behavior must be pretty biologically driven. Yeah, right. I think a lot of it. And sort I, of like, I was also going to go to like, I wonder how much of the same impulse that drove the alcoholism, maybe like the obsessiveness, potentially also drove like the mm-hmm. exploration uh, mindset, totally. or like the obsession with exploration. Because it did seem like, on one hand, too, like even for Teddy Roosevelt, like his wife did not want him doing a lot of this stuff. <laughs> yeah. Well, at one point, remember they, when they split up the groups at the beginning of the trip before the river and the first group has an accident that one guy survives, yes. sends a telegram back <laughs> to New York saying I survived the implication being that everybody else died and yeah. they hadn't even started the river of doubt right. yet. And Roosevelt's wife thought he was right. dead. Yeah. Yeah. That that is also another thing that's so hard to empathize with today. This idea that you could go do something for a few months and nobody yeah. would have any idea if you were alive or not or what was going yep. on, right? <laughs> well, like, you just go on like a trip for a year, like Roosevelt's Africa trip. He just left for like a year and yeah. a half. That's crazy. I know. It literally seems like, insane. Imagine, yeah. like, it literally seems insane. Hey, guys, insane. we got to... <laughs> pause the next few episodes i'm gonna be gone for a year Uh, (laughs) i mean like when when i did the boundary waters trip last year i was offline for six days and like that was weird that was very weird right i like it was nice i liked it but trying to imagine doing 10 times that duration (laughs) right like 60 days or 600 days well i guess you were (laughs) offline all the time back then yeah Uh, also boundary waters sounds so much cooler than maine (laughs) (laughs) yeah (laughs) yeah you you really should have left out the main part of the deal it's (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> Nothing dangerous happens in Maine. <laughs> uh, the other thing that made Kermit like pretty pretty impressive and was almost amusing about the story is he didn't even want to go on this river of doubt expedition he was just like watching out for his dad yeah but can oh you yeah you're like he's like oh, my dad's yeah, gonna like this- die if i don't <laughs> go help some uncharted part of the rainforest i don't want to go but i gotta go so i'm gonna go <laughs> my dad's gonna get himself <laughs> like- <laughs> and yeah. meanwhile he like had just like i don't know scored the girl that he was going for via letter like what a baller yeah 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 <laughs> it's it's actually like this is a very funny way to imagine their relationship but where it's like roosevelt is sort of the like you, you can imagine like a friend's dad who's just like super like like let's go right and kermit's like oh god dad not again like do we really oh, god fuck okay but fine we'll go down the river he's <laughs> just it's like this is his whole life, right? I loved the stories in the beginning about when, uh, like, ambassadors would come to visit Roosevelt in the White House, and he would take them. Oh wow, I perfectly turned to it. Okay, uh, not only could Roosevelt withstand extreme tests of physical endurance, but he relished them to the distress of anyone who was unfortunate enough to be along for the ride. <laughs> In the White House, Roosevelt used to torture the members of his cabinet with long walks through Rock Creek Park, the enormous forested park that runs through Washington, D.C. The walks went on any time of day or night and in any season. On several occasions, we swam Rock Creek in the early spring when the ice was floating thick upon it. If we swam the Potomac, we usually took off our clothes. I remember on one such occasion when the French ambassador, Jules Jusserand, I don't know. I don't have a French accent, was along. And just as we were about to get into swim, somebody said, Mr. Ambassador, Mr. Ambassador, you haven't taken off your gloves. To which he promptly responded, I think I will leave them on. We might meet ladies. (laughs) (laughs) Also talk about like a cold plunge. Like, yeah, right. (laughs) Like you're, you're visiting the president and you think you're just, you know, going to have some nice coffees. No, 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 no. We are going to go for a walk for a few miles through the snow and then swim in the ice-crusted Potomac (laughs) naked. (laughs) And then we will negotiate. (laughs) It's kind of kind of a baller move, honestly. Right. Like, let's let's see. (laughs) Trying to imagine. Yeah. Like, I, I could see Obama maybe doing that. They wouldn't let Obama out of the parking lot. <laughs> I know. Yeah. So tight. <laughs> There's just a great clip of, I think he's on like Jimmy Kimmel or Jimmy Fallon. And he's talking about like the cell phone they gave him. And uh, he's like, yeah, I you know, had a Blackberry, but you know, they don't really give me new tech because you know, cybersecurity concerns. So they gave me this smartphone and it, he likens it to like when you give a baby a smartphone, it like looks like a smartphone <laughs> and has, like, the plastic buttons, but it can't do anything. <laughs> He's like, oh, I can't use the camera. I can't text. I can't place phone calls. <laughs> <laughs> but it makes a fun beeping noise when I tap yeah. it. <laughs> oh, man. You know who would do the, the ice baths is RFK. <laughs> I, knew, I knew someone would bring that up. <laughs> I wasn't sure if it would be me or it would be one of you guys. But <laughs> How much TRT do you think he's on? He's got to be ask. getting... Okay, I'm glad like, someone... Quadruple dose. Yeah. Because he released that video of him doing push ups and he only did like 10 or 15. 
And I was like, you're pretty jacked. I was hoping for a bit more than 10 or 15 Oh man. man. But you know what's funny is like it's like, yeah, we've gone so far in the other direction with like Biden and Trump that it's just like people just want like someone who's like a physically able human being. I know. Being. <laughs> <laughs> it's like I don't even care what their beliefs are. Like, can they at least do ten <laughs> yeah. push ups? They, like, ten push ups. They can believe anything they want. <laughs> the bar is pretty low. <laughs> like Yeah. <laughs> I've had this web page up for most of the most of the recordings, so I'm just gonna divert the topic real quick. <laughs> At the beginning, when we were talking about all the folks who came on the voyage who got like no credit for it, mm-hmm. uh, have you guys seen? I think it's 14 Peaks, uh, Nims Nims Perja. No, what's that? Mm-mm. So he is a uh, he's a Nepalese guy, and he climbed the I think 14 is the number the 14 tallest peaks in the world in six months or something like that. Oh, cool. And the idea, I don't want to get the details wrong now, but the idea was that like you have, you know, Sherpas who are Nepalese who climb with all these people every single year and get no credit for being like the masters of the mountain. And this was meant to get a group of folks together to do something like all 14 peaks in six months, which have been a record. And they did. And they're like, I, I forget it, first of all, it's a phenomenal documentary. It's just incredible watching them do it. Uh, I just the wildest it. part to me, yeah, strong recommend. Good flight movie. By that's the way, why. Yeah, that's flight. why I was thinking um, I'll just watch it today. Yeah, I don't want to get the details on this wrong, but there's one point where I believe in 48 hours they scale three of the peaks, and one of them is Everest. Yeah, I was. That's the thing that I was just starting to look up. They, they basically like jogged it or something, didn't they? You must have to do three yeah. of them in 48 hours, right? No sleep they, and you're just nonstop. They went, dude, they went from base camp to the summit in eight hours and 10 minutes. That's wild. How, yeah. how is that from like an oxygen perspective? Like, well, they did so take oxygen. Oh, they took oxygen. Okay. Well, but I've also yeah. read something. I think this is Nepalese people. I know it's Tibetan people too. Like they have a genetic advantage with oxygen consumption. Oh, interesting. Like the there's a few cultures. It would make sense. It's a that, uh, adaptation yeah. for that being at that elevation. Totally. Yeah. 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 So they they actually might just not need nearly as much as like we would mm. going to do it. Um, it. It was a topic in the film though, is whether or not they would. And if my memory serves me right, they did decide they would have some supplemental oxygen because um, people have done it. Yeah, I think without. you can do it without, yeah. but you have to go slower. I'm sure they there's probably like a min-max equation, right? It's like we can move at this pace if we bring a little extra air. Uh, yep. And so even though it's like more weight, it'll get us there faster. Yeah. Um, yeah, he broke his previous Guinness World Record by climbing uh, Mount Everest, Lhotse, and Makalu within two days and 30 minutes. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Wow, okay. So the world record for... Everest ascents is this one guy who's done it 21 times. <laughs> is he a Sherpa? That's wild. Or just a. Yeah, it's a Sherpa. Okay. Yeah. I was going to say that makes more sense. Did you guys ever watch the Alpinist documentary? Okay. It, no. It's this free climber, this guy who just like climbs alone, no equipment, literally with his hands. Like, and there's, it's not like 14 peaks in the sense that there's like 14 well known mountains, but there's like, 
similar, you know, some number of these like sheer cliffs or whatever that, you know, people in that world consider like the, I guess, like the the top ones that you can do. And he was trying to do, I think, like all of them within a certain period of time. Um, he's 23 years old, you know, not to like, give, I mean, it's not like a suspense thing. If you just Google him, like he, he, I think like ran out of, or like got caught in a storm of some sort on like mm-hmm. the final one and they never found him. So, but he like did oh, the, damn. but he got like most of these peaks on his, on his own with no equipment. Like literally you just like go and start climbing. You don't bring anything other than like what you can like fit on your body. <laughs> like you don't have a backpack. You have like, um, there are some of like the snow ones where you, you have like a little pick, I think to like break through the ice, but you have no yeah. harness or anything. Like if you fall, you're just, that's it. You're done. Yeah. It's, Did you guys watch Meru? Uh, no, I haven't. How do you spell that? Meru M E R U. Oh no, I haven't. It's a really good What's one. It's about these three guys who tried to do the first summit of this mountain, Meru, which is another mountain in the same mountain range as Everest. But it's like a much, much harder climb. Oh, wow. And supposedly no one had ever, I think, I think no one had ever summited it before. And so they were trying to figure out the first route for it. If I'm remembering this right. Uh, If you like those kinds of movies, it's wild. I'll check it out. How does it compare to how does it compare to K2? Because I thought K2 was the most dangerous to climb. Maybe K2 is more well known just because it's near Everest. It's kind of interesting because Everest is like probably like compared to some of these other ones. hmm. Not that I would ever even be able to climb Everest, but it's like it's probably in comparison, not as hard as some of these other ones. Oh, okay. Meru is a route on. Okay, so Meru. So the the film was about a certain route mm. on the Meru peak. So it, the, the peak had been summited before, but nobody had ever gone up it this way. Mm. So I don't know about K2. Also the, uh, the documentary is also by uh, Jimmy Chin, the same guy who did free solo. Yeah. Well, Jimmy Chin goes on this climb. He's one of the climbers. Wow. Oh, wow. wow. <laughs> All right. I'm downloading Meru also. It's on Prime. <laughs> I have a lot of climbing stuff to watch. <laughs> Dude, you're going to get off this plane and you're going to have so much energy. <laughs> you're going to be stuck in an airport for your layover, just like itching to <laughs> climb the glass. Like. <laughs> so, a, a deal. I found an online discussion about K2 versus the route they did in the Mayor documentary. Uh-huh. And they're saying that K2 is probably the toughest mountain to climb. Hmm. But the route these guys did up Meru is harder. Okay. Be- because they took like the worst route up it, basically. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> I understand. I, I understand the like, I'll climb this peak because, you know, there's something about a mountain. Yeah. Uh, and you're like, I want to get to the top. But I want to get to the top like the easiest way because the, you know, the goal is to get to the top. Yeah. The route, like choosing the hardest route is a whole other mindset. Yeah. It's just purely about the challenge. Cause yeah, you could accomplish the mountain another way. Can you tell us about the hardest mountain you climbed in Maine? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't even think we saw anything that was more than a few hundred feet tall. It was pretty flat. Uh, 
It's like the I jokes my dad weird. would always make about North Dakota. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, Boundary Waters, though, is a great name. That's like... It's just such a cool name. It's a great name. Yeah. <laughs> Wait, that was, was that a canoe camping trip, too? Yeah, yeah, it's canoe camping. It's the largest oh, wilderness preserve in America, I think. Wow. It's a little over a million acres. Do you see any interesting uh, wildlife? Uh, we saw moose... And the the most fun was we saw like a family of otters at one point, like mm. swimming and then running along the That's trail. So I just cool. love otters and they're so That's cute. So cool. <laughs> and then tons of birds, but uh, the the birds are fun because both of my my aunt and uncle both work with like the Forest Service in Minnesota, mm. so they know like every single bird call, which is really fun. And they can like point them out and they can sometimes like talk back and forth with them, which is just very wow. fun to like see happen when you're in camp yeah that's awesome uh that actually reminded me of something in the in the book too where they were saying like they hardly saw any wildlife because the wildlife was keeping oh, away yeah, from that them. was interesting yeah which made it hard to hunt ha- have either of you have either of you been to the amazon no, before i haven't okay so i i did a trip with my family a while ago so it's like 10 12 years ago and this sounds bad but like going into the amazon was almost disappointing for this reason oh wow because we like we had already done or we had done Galapagos in Africa and some of those other trips. And I think in our head, it was like, oh, we're going to go to the Amazon. We're going to see like Amazonian wildlife and all this cool stuff. And you see nothing. Like, so it was like what they experienced. It was really it was it was almost eerie in that sense. Mm-hmm. You you kind of like go through the trees. And at one point, they like put in some fishing lines and we like picked up piranhas and stuff. And that was kind of cool. And we saw some caimans. But. I mean, there's no animals like they're obviously there, but they're so hidden that it it feels like you're just very alone. (laughs) That's kind of scary, actually. Yeah, Yeah, it was weird. It was wildlife in these rivers is insane. Dark forest. The wild forest. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Dark forest. (laughs) (laughs) Saying the the wildlife in these rivers is insane. Like the piranhas and the uh, Mm. what was the thing that like. Went up your yeah, one of people's penises. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> what was that? The, the the penis catfish. Yeah. <laughs> what a crazy story. Uh, myth busted. That does seem I like know, one yeah, of those so things for, where for like, people listening. Yeah. Oh yeah. Go ahead. Give the context before I people say. listening. It, <laughs> they they basically said that they didn't want to pee in the river because there was this tiny catfish that was attracted to urine and would swim up your urethra and lodge itself in your body and then feed on your blood. And it's a real fish and it is, what's the term? Vampiric, parasitic, whatever. Like it, it, it will, it does eat blood, but the, the whole swimming up your urethra thing is kind of a possible. <laughs> well, well, it's weird. It's a, it's possibly a myth, but the thing that was interesting is like all of these indigenous tribes had like this fear of it and this mythology around it. And they said in the book that they had encountered multiple tribes, people who had had their penises cut off because of it. So, you know, it seems like something you wouldn't do very lightly. Right. Um, But, but there's only been one recorded modern case of it happening. And I guess even that one was kind of suspicious so it's sort of this open question of whether or not it's real. The uh, the detail from the story, though, uh, which you omitted, was that this fish would, if you were peeing into the water, from oh yeah, of that the water, part, 
it would swim up the stream that you were peeing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that that one we know is bullshit. Like that. Do we? <laughs> yeah. That- <laughs> no, I'm kidding. <laughs> I mean, I guess it could jump if it had really good aim, you know. <laughs> Specifically adapted. It probably depends on how low you hang to the water, too, right? Like, <laughs> But then there were stories about fish that, like, ate monkeys, right? That would, like, take them off the... They'd, like, leap up and, like, if it was a low branch. Oh, yeah, the really big ones that would jump up and yeah. grab them. Mm-hmm. That's wild. That's yeah. crazy. I can't believe the, they, the they would bathe the in this. Too. I can't believe they just bathe in this water. Well, the that that was interesting because it seemed like, and I've heard this before too, but the piranhas don't care about you if you're not bleeding. Mm. But then the blood kind of sends them into the frenzy, and so the one guy was what was he, he was doing something really stupid. He was like in a tree above them and like baiting them to try to take pictures, right? And then he fell off the branch into the like chum that he created to get pictures of the piranhas. Oh, yeah, because he had put stuff in the water, started, right? He had, like, put food in the water. He put stuff in the water to attract yes. them. Yeah, 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 yeah he yeah, put yeah, food yeah. in. And then he fell into the food. <laughs> and they, like, started, like, nipping at him, but he made it to the shore before they could, like, do too much damage. That is terrifying. Idea. That is terrifying. Guys- that is a scary way to go. Yeah. That's honestly worse than a yeah. shark, I think. The shark gets, like, you know, you got one shark, like, in... It'll be over yeah, quick if quick you lose. Bite. Yeah, the piranha thing is like yeah. you're literally getting eaten alive, getting like in small eaten bites. Alive. Yeah. <laughs> Some rough. We've got to end out. on a better note than that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, they made it out. That's a good note. Yeah, yeah they survived. They survived. <laughs> and what total was? I think two people died. There was oh, the guy wait, who was wait, wait, wait. one interesting note. Guy. One interesting note was the guy who was like causing a trouble on this journey. And oh, I'm yeah, honestly, that conflict was yeah. so weird. Yeah, but I'm honestly surprised that there was only one troublemaker in this like remote journey. Like honestly, those guys outnumbered the officers or the you know the um, the Americans. Yeah. Like somehow order was kept on this journey. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think that was Ron Dunn. It like, is. They just, yeah. They respected, respected him so him. much and he was their leader. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, the one guy who just didn't want to do any work, yeah. kept trying to steal yeah. food uh, and then eventually kills another guy on the expedition. Right. Yeah. Right. And I, I thought the whole debate about what to do with him was so wild. Yeah. Right. Where Rondon was like, no, we have to bring him back and put him on trial and all that. I, I was definitely on Roosevelt's side. I was Same. like, Same. Same. <laughs> Yeah, Rondon was like, okay, you don't have to kill him, but at least abandon him or something because he should not be on this trip anymore. (laughs) Yeah, he's like actively hurting the whole expedition. And he's another mouth to feed. Totally. (laughs) And it's like a big mouth, too. He was like one of the biggest guys on the trip, wasn't he? I think it said. He was eating disproportionately. I I don't remember if they commented on... I thought they commented he was like a really yeah. big, strong guy. Hmm. Like, well, like he, he should have been, been able to do useful. more work. Yeah. He should have been really useful. Yeah. But yeah. he just wasn't putting in work. Yeah. A rough way to go getting abandoned in the Amazon. <laughs> Dude deserved yeah. it. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, cold blood yeah. killer. Yeah. Totally. I mean, he shot that guy point blank for no reason. Yeah. Yeah. Well, he shot him for catching him stealing food yeah that was, <laughs> like, the, that was the no reason right like yeah yeah i was gonna say it's worse than no reason yeah. <laughs> it's like yeah 
<laughs> you know what would be interesting to cover? Because this, so this kind of brought up a, a thought in my head of like, how do people on, like if you think about, not re- not today, but like hundreds of years ago, these long uh, journeys over the ocean, how, like if mm-hmm. there was a mutiny or like some kind of disorder, you know, what those are like, mm-hmm. because it's not like you can just like call in mm-hmm. help or the police or like, same thing with being in the Amazon, you know, you're kind of, on your own and so like the traits that a captain would probably need to have to keep order are just like next level leadership yeah you always have to be better than the alternative yeah probably yeah i'm sure there's got to be some it's like okay the, the navigational tools only know how to be used by the couple people and they're you know yeah locked away in captain's quarters or something yeah. Yeah, there's got to be just a little bit of fear of uh overthrowing the leadership right like there's got to be something to that effect i wonder how common it was yeah that would be an interesting book to read yeah and if you lost the right, confidence like, of the men mar- maritime maritime order in the age of exploration or something right like yeah good each, title yeah next each, book, each chapter is a different <laughs> ocean voyage it actually sounds like That'd a good book. Cool if it doesn't exist, Harvard Business it. Review That's a, case studies, <laughs> yeah. but for... I, yeah. I, I don't do my own too much, but that title is sick. <laughs> I think somebody needs to write that. <laughs> feels like I'm talking to ChatGPT. I'm like, right, give me a title for <laughs> Man, I got to get that book proposal in before this episode comes out, I guess. <laughs> Someone's going to run with it. <laughs> that would be so well, yeah, nice. I mean, a good actually. book. Yeah. Well, and we've talked about doing endurance at some point, which I think we should, Uh, but to a similar effect, like, you know, you you think about the Shackleton journey and then being stuck on the ice and having to like walk to the edge and then, you know, take, take the boat and, but you, they spent the first year just in the ship stuck in the ice, right? (laughs) Like before the adventure even starts, they just spend a year stuck in the ice, like alone. And there was no mutiny. Like they didn't turn on each other. Nobody on that expedition died. Not a single person died. So how did you keep order for a year? That's insane. I wonder if there's just like something that clicks on in humans brains when they're in that situation where it's like, oh, okay, we know that the only way we all live is if we all work together. Right. Maybe there, there might just be a collaboration thing that like turns on. Yeah, or maybe there's like times yeah. where the leader is overthrown because they lose the confidence. You know, yeah, and then you don't hear about it because <laughs> they don't survive. Right? Yeah, or maybe yeah. Yeah, if, the, like if the group I'd, breaks down, or I feel like I'd heard about it from like the Spanish. There was some some story about the some Spanish explorer. I forget who it was. I need. I'm talking out of my ass mm. now, but I feel like this is there is one famous story of this happening, and I think they actually survived. It wasn't Cortez. Cortez was like the, like taking conquering the Aztec, right? I, that was Cortez. I, I was actually about to say that would if we could find a good book on Cortez. That's one I'd be really interested to Same. read because it it was like fifty people, right? And they conquered the entire Aztec Empire. I think like fifty or five hundred. I think it was, but it was small. Yeah. It was very small. Yeah, it was really small. I mean, because and it what they didn't really use the burn the boat um, strategy. I'm curious if that's a myth or like a real but, thing. Did they actually burn the boats that they came on? How much of that was um, 
smallpox versus probably sure good helped. Probably definitely played a role. Yeah. 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 Okay. You're 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 right, Neil. It's 450 people. But still, 450 I mean, is, is still nothing. Insane. Yeah. <laughs> like, and the Aztec were a big empire. Yeah, it must have been tens of millions. Yeah, like, can you imagine at least millions trying to conquer anything with 450 people? <laughs> you couldn't conquer Austin and 450 people. <laughs> I don't think you could, right? Unless you were like, no, absolutely not. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you know how many guns we have. That's here? what I'm saying. Like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Although the Aztecs probably didn't have guns, so that might explain the whole thing. <laughs> you can conquer people without guns with 450 people, as long as they have guns. Yeah, guns help. Oh, apparently, Henry Hudson was mutinied. <laughs> um, yeah, during his final voyage, his crew mutinied and set him, his son, and seven crew members adrift in a small boat, and they were never seen again. Wow. <laughs> oh, God. Magellan apparently a... dealt with like Awful five mutinies. Oh, Magellan was oh, the one I was thinking of. Yes. Yeah, 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 yeah. But he didn't yeah. lose, like, he didn't get he... overthrown, right? Not successfully, but okay. they they said several mutinies. Yeah, I, I, I that's what I remember. Him. That it was somebody like that we had definitely heard of. That's why I was thinking like Cortez, but it wasn't Cortez. It was Magellan. Yeah, okay, yeah, yeah. Magellan. Uh, but I he wonder, died somewhere in once they passed the Pacific. Is how I remember it. Right. The, I don't think he made it. Yeah. Yeah. He didn't make it all the way. But I, I think don't think so. Had, let me check. That's you another think ship captains would do like false flag events where they get some buddies to like stage a mutiny at the start and then they like throw them overboard you know this like false show of strength and like all right in the philippines was where magellan died oh yeah that sounds 1521 that's another like and two years ago what a goal that's another like, one be interesting to read more yeah about, like going the, around the whole world the, like it's incredible yeah, yeah. And now we just well, it's like kind of weird that we give him credit for it if he died on the way. I know that's so true. Who made it? <laughs> Who of his crew made it? Big like asterisks. Yeah, they should get the credit. <laughs> yeah, um, that's true. Yeah, but it's kind of funny that like now we can like literally cross an ocean in like a few hours, and it's just like you get into a little box, metal box, and a few hours later you're on like the other side of the world. <laughs> it takes some of the romance out of. Uh, travel but also a lot of the danger <laughs> out of the travel too well ima- <laughs> imagine if the starship travel catches on in our lifetime which i feel like there's a decent chance of it happening then it's literally like 20 minutes from dc to tokyo oh like the stuff from uh where's my really flying car crazy. yeah yeah no no the the spacex um oh yeah yeah, yeah, yeah yeah have you did you see that yeah yeah, yeah. I, I know what you're talking about yeah yeah yeah, the where's my flying car one is slower than that, but yeah, it's still yeah, still pretty interesting. Twenty minutes to Tokyo, that'd be crazy. Um, there was you could literally go for like a sushi lunch and come back. Imagine going to Mars because your dad's not ready for the trip. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's why Musk has so many kids. <laughs> he needs one to <laughs> to be be as crazy as him. Yeah. Wait, um, All right. X Ash A12 is coming to Mars with me. <laughs> Kai Ash A12. Yeah. Speaking of like, where's my flying car? There was something I saw the other day that I meant to put in our group chat, but 
at one point, I think it was in 1990, there was a flight that the uh, the military did between LA and DC, and it was 68 minutes. Woo! Wow. And it was with like existing jet technology. It was a it was a Lockheed plane, I think. Really? It was an SR-71 Blackbird. On its retirement, okay, well, so that, that were super. That, yeah. yeah, on its retirement, not exactly a commercial yeah. airline. No, 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 no. I just mean it wasn't like a new. It wasn't like what was being talked about in uh, "What's Your Flying? Where, where's My Flying Car?" Like, remember we were talking about like yeah. nuclear propulsion and like all this other stuff that isn't yeah. really. Uh, it's like theoretically possible, but not really. It's never really been tried, as far as I think we know. Maybe it's been yeah. tried in like classified things, but this was like an SR seventy one, which it was on its retirement flight, like. And they just never tried it again. Yeah, that's like, not, yeah, that's fine. <laughs> cool. That's good enough. <laughs> um, I read something crazy about the Blackbirds that they're they have to account for so much uh, shrinkage because they from like the force on it from going mm. so fast that when it's fueled up on the ground, it's leaking. Like there's some amount that just like naturally leaks out of it because they have to build so much compression into the plane wow. for it to survive those speeds. I haven't double checked that, but it sounds good. <laughs> Material science breakthroughs that solve these things are going to be insane. Yeah. yeah. Like the, like it, the fact that we're flying this thing, like it's taking off leaking. It really shows where the material science is behind the physics. Like, <laughs> yep. Hey, okay. I was correct. Proper alignment was achieved as the airframe heated up with a thermal expansion of several inches. Hmm. Because of this and the lack of a fuel sealing system that could handle the airframe's expansion at extreme temperatures, the aircraft leaked fuel on the ground prior to takeoff, annoying ground crews. <laughs> I love that Wikipedia threw that in there. Annoying ground crews. Wait, did you guys know in 96, the Concorde flew between New York and London in two hours and 52 minutes? Yeah. Yeah. I didn't know it was that fast. Those stats are crazy. I always assumed it was like marginally faster. Like it was like four hours, maybe five hours instead of seven or six. This like a fast. That is so fast. That is faster than the New York to Austin flight. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Yeah. Is is boom still happening or was that like Yeah, it looks like company? it is. That's the article I'm looking at right now. It's a little slower than the Concorde, but um yeah, it says flight trials are scheduled to begin in 2026. Sweet. And United Let's already go. bought how many of them? 100. 100 of them? 100 planes? No, no, sorry. I <laughs> I said that as a joke. I, I don't know what the number is. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't say Oh my god, many. they went in. Yeah, it doesn't say how many, but it. Oh no, uh, they didn't. This is, article is either I'm missing something 15, or it's like 15. weirdly written. But it says it includes right, an option to buy good. 35 planes. Yep. Yeah, boomsupersonic.com/slash/united. They have purchased 15 so far. Sounds like with option. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, oh they and, put down uh, American Airlines. <laughs> American Airlines has agreed to purchase 20. It says Virgin Galactic also yeah. revealed a design for a plane that can do uh, London to New York in less than two hours, but would only be able to carry up to 19 passengers. But still for like a private jet type scenario, that's like pretty awesome. Didn't Virgin Galactic shut down? Oh, did they? This article might be old. Oh, Virgin Orbit shut down. 
but Virgin Galactic is still in business. Interesting. There's too many Virgin companies. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what do we have next? We have, that's episode 100, right? Oh, yeah. The next that's one's rap. episode 100. Next one's 100. The Creative Act by Rick Rubin. Yep. I'm almost through it. It's awesome. Yeah, yeah it's like a good. third of the way through. It feels like... Um, if it's I don't not- even know where he's from. I actually don't know much about him besides like random Twitter things that I've seen. So I want to Google it before we do the episode. But... He has a very like the vibe I get from him is like the vibe of some of like the old people I met when I used to live in the Bay Area, <laughs> like some of the people who've been there mm-hmm. for like generations, like this very like hippie ish type of vibe. But it's like hippie ish, yeah. but also like ambitious. Like, I don't know. It's hard to hard to describe. But uh, I was going to say the book cool is vibe. the book is better if you take like a tiny bit of mushrooms before reading it. <laughs> so that checks. Well, not everyone has the subscription. <laughs> <laughs> purely talking about lion's mane by the way yeah lion's mane chaga (laughs) obviously uh okay what else uh keep leaving reviews reviews are super helpful send this to a friend if you enjoyed it Um, maybe listen to it while you're out exploring the wilderness yeah exactly exploring maine Pick up a copy. Of <laughs> pick up a copy of uh, River of Doubt. Uh, oh, and shout out to Austin who writes the Adventure Capitalist, hmm. which is a good newsletter on these topics. He's the one who recommended this book to me, uh, so go check him out too. Yeah, great pick. Andrew. Alrighty, I think that does it, guys. See you next time. See you, See next, you time. next time. <laughs>